If you have your Bible, then please turn to John chapter 1. We're going to go from verses 19 to 34. So John chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 19. So brothers and sisters, this is God's holy and inerrant word. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're neither, neither the Christ, nor the Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. And thus far the reading of God's word. Well, during my previous vacation with my family, uh, we had to make a sudden change uh, to our flight from uh, Los Angeles to Seattle. And we switched from one airline to another airline. And so when we did that, we knew that we had to move from Terminal 6 to Terminal 2 at LAX, but we faced the problem of not knowing how to get there. And so the most reasonable thing to do was to ask a staff member or maybe even look for a sign uh, to tell us where to go. And so the first person we asked was uh, sort of helpful, but not completely, because uh, we were really in a rush to catch the next flight. And she told us, oh, we just had to wait for a bus that connects us uh, from one terminal to another terminal. And so what do we do? Well, we listened to her instruction. We waited for the bus. We waited for 10 minutes or even 15 minutes. And you can imagine during that time, we were kind of panicking because we had to catch the flight in the next hour. and so I decided, okay, we were panicking, and then I'm like, okay, I can't, we cannot wait here. And so I went back into to the terminal, and I spoke to another staff member, 
hoping that he'll point us to the right direction. And surely enough, he just told us, you just need to cut across the airport. It's only about like five minute walk from this terminal to another terminal. And I'm like, then we didn't need to wait for 15 minutes. And so basically what happened is we just booked it to terminal two to catch our next flight. And if you want to hear the rest of the story, you can talk to us later on, whether if we catch the flight or not. So, but I'm sure you can all sympathize with us. Uh, most, if not all of you, may have experienced a sense of being lost at a location. And when that happens, uh, you just try to look for signs, uh, or you just try to find the right person who can point you to the right direction. And it can be frustrating. However, if they direct you to the wrong place, wrong location, and not be completely helpful. And so, brothers and sisters, here's the question for you to consider for this message. Are you the sign? Or are you the right person who can point others to the way of salvation? You see, today we're going to talk about pointing people to Jesus. Uh, I want to focus on the theme of bearing witness or testifying about Jesus Christ. You see, John the Baptist, as we have just read, he directed others to Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Uh, he is a good example and a good role model for us as Christians to imitate. And now we must remember the context of this passage that we just read. We remember the author, John himself, uh, began his gospel with his prologue. Essentially, John talked about the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal word who was, from the be who, was who was in the beginning with God and he was God. And in verse 14, we learn that this word, this God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have unpacked the beautiful truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ where God became man. And see, in the person of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, he came to reveal who God is. And as we transition from John's prologue to now the narrative portion, I want to highlight something that may not be obvious to you. And if you're interested in deeper Bible study, uh, this would be quite helpful for you to highlight uh, in, your, in, your own, in your own Bibles. You see, the authors of the Bible are masterful in the writing of Holy Scripture. And John is no exception here. You see, one of the literary devices that the authors of the Bible use is called inclusio. Inclusio. Now, you can think of inclusio as uh, like bracketing, or you can think of it like a burger. Uh, you have a sandwich on top and then a sandwich on the bottom. So an inclusio just means that the author begins or, and ends a sentence or a paragraph or a section in a similar way. And so as we come to this passage, there's actually an inclusio, I think. See, verse 19 begins with the testimony of John the Baptist. And then verse 34 ends with John the Baptist testifying and bearing witness that Jesus is the Son of God. In, 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 in addition to this theme, this concept called the inclusio, the entire, John, the entire Gospel of John is actually a giant inclusio. 
You see, since John chapter 1 verse 19 begins with the, the testimony of John in the narrative, how does John's gospel end? Well, it ends with these words in chapter 21 verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And so what, happened, what we see here is it begins with the testimony of John and it also ends with the testimony of John, except it's not John the Baptist, but John the, John the Apostle, the disciple of, who, of Jesus, whom Jesus loved, of who Jesus loved. So one of the themes that, of John's gospel that you need to keep in mind is that it's all about bearing witness about Jesus Christ, testifying about who he is, and for what purpose. If you, if you remember, John wrote this gospel with a purpose. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so as we come to the exposition of God's word, I just want you to remember this simple truth. The simple truth is this. Faithful witnesses point people to Jesus. Faithful witnesses point people to Jesus. And see, we come here in verses 19 to 21. And we learn that to effectively point people to Jesus, we need to be clear on who we are not. See, in verse 19, the author starts out the narrative with the testimony of John, and we recall that the prologue talked about the, John the Baptist, but in your own Bible, let me read it again as a way to remind you. John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 says this, There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You see, as you look at verses 6 to 8 of John chapter 1, John the author summarizes the ministry of John the Baptist in a rather three-part outline, if you will. You see, John writes that the Baptist, John the Baptist, who was sent from God, was not the light. First, was not the light, but second, was sent to bear witness to the light in order that third, men might believe through him. And so John, the author here, as I've been mentioning, he's, he's very masterful in his writing. He's rather stylistic in his literary writing. He's like preaching a sermon to us, and so the three-part sermon outline, if you will, can actually be seen in verses 19 to 51. You see, verses 19 to 28 show that the Baptist was not the light. Verses, and then verses 29 to 34 picture him pointing to the light. And then verses 35 to 51 show how that witness, how John the Baptist's witness, resulted in the first men coming to believe in Christ's person. And so, for this morning, we're only covering part one and two of John's outline. Now, going back to the text, by this time, John was becoming rather popular with his ministry. He, uh, he was preaching a message of repentance, a message of baptism. 
and many of the Jewish people were going to John the Baptist to hear his message and to be and to be baptized by him. And so the Jews here in verse 19 sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to inquire of John's identity. And these Jews were the Jewish leaders with religious authorities. John says, the author John says in verse 24 that they were the Pharisees. And so the priests and the Levites asked John, who are you? And as we have read, John gives them a threefold denial. So John responds by giving them a rather direct, straight to the point answer with an emphatic statement, I am not the Christ. Now, in case you do not know the, know, you know, the word, uh, the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is the Greek word that is equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. And the meaning behind Christ and Messiah is God's chosen one, God's anointed one. And so you should know that during this time that the Jews here were living under the dominion of Rome. And, they, and these Jews, they had an expectation, they, and they were all looking forward to the Messiah as prophesied in the Old Testament. And this Messiah would be their deliverer from the, from the reign of the Roman Empire. And so the Jews may have just thought that the John, John the Baptist was their long-awaited Messiah. However, John here denied that he was the Christ. And then afterwards, they asked him, are you Elijah? Now, if you don't know Elijah, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament found in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Uh, one of the things you need to know about Elijah is that he, he did not die physically, but he was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. And because Elijah ascended to heaven, there's an assumption that the same Elijah would one day descend back to earth in the end times. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 to 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so the Jews thought that John was Elijah because he was also he was wearing a rugged clothing, just like Elijah. Uh, both of them wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around their waist. And if you actually have seen them um, during that time, they would really look like weirdos, if you will. Uh, so the Jews were maybe wondering if John was that Elijah prophesied in the Old Testament. But he confesses that I am not the Elijah. I am not Elijah. Now, if you know your Bible really well, if you know the New Testament quite well, uh, that response brings uh, some tensions with what other Bible texts says about John. You see, in Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 17, Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah. And so here, John, we hear, John says, I'm not Elijah. And you have Jesus here saying, he is Elijah. So who's correct? Well, both are speaking the truth. See, when Elijah was taken up, his apprentice, Elisha, succeeded Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15 says that the spirit of Elijah rested on Elisha. 
And if you read in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 17, the angel said that, the, that John the Baptist will do his ministry in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So Jesus is correct in saying that John is Elijah. He has the spirit of Elijah. John called people to repentance from their sins and turned back to God, just like what Elijah did. But John is also correct in saying that he's not Elijah, meaning that he is not the literal and physical Elijah who went up to heaven in 2 Kings. And plus, perhaps John in his humility and even in his own perspective, he did not see himself as Elijah. In fact, if you read, other, read what, John, what Jesus said about John the Baptist, John, that John the Baptist was actually the greatest human being to have ever lived. But I'm sure that John wouldn't even have seen himself in that manner. And then lastly, third one is, the priest then ask, and the Levites ask him, are you the prophet? Perhaps they had Deuteronomy chapter 18 in mind when Moses predicted that God will raise up the prophet. But John denied that he is that prophet in Deuteronomy 18. You see, what we learned here is that John knew who he was not. He was not the light. He was not the light. So I wonder if you were in John's shoes or even in John's sandals, would you have given those threefold denials? Or perhaps in your pride or even ego-driven desires, would you have admitted, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the Christ, I'm Elijah, I'm the prophet, and take all the glory from God? That, 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 that he gets. Brothers and sisters, you must remember who you are not in the eyes of the world. Don't let the world boost your pride and ego. Don't place your identity in what the world says about you when God has given you an identity found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to effectively point people to Jesus, we need to be clear on who we are not. But let's move on to what John does say about himself in verses 28, 22 to 28. And we will learn that to effectively point people to Jesus, we need to be clear on who we are. See, after the threefold denial, the priests and the Levites responded to John in verse 22. And they asked him again, as they asked him in earlier in verse 19, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. And you can imagine that they were just feeling frustrated, right? And I was like, ah, oh, just, we just can't get anything out of this John, this John. We can't get an answer him, from him. But we cannot just leave John and just return to the Jews empty-handed. We gotta, we gotta ask him another question. And so what did they ask? If you're, okay, see, in summary, if you're neither of those guys, you can at least say something about yourself, right? And so John the Baptist does respond with an answer by admitting that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. John says in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record John as the fulfillment 
of Isaiah's prophecy. And his father, Zechariah, may have also understood such fulfillment in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, where Zechariah said to John, said this about John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And so what does John say about who he is? What does John say about himself? He says, I am the voice. In other words, he is the messenger of God who would prepare the way of the Lord's coming by preaching repentance and divine judgment. And then they asked him one more question regarding his ministry of baptism in verse 25. Then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? In other words, John, what gives you the authority? What gives you the right to baptize? And when you actually observe John's answer, it doesn't seem to really give a direct answer to their question. Why are you baptizing? But he does answer it later on in verse 31. If you jump to verse 31, he answers by saying, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That's why, he got, that's why he's baptizing. And furthermore, what John did have every right to baptize because he was given a divine authority from heaven. Take a look at verse 33 of John chapter 1, where John says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so why did John baptize? It's because God sent him to baptize with water. It's because God spoke and revealed to John, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Essentially, God was the one who has given John the calling and the authority to do so. And through baptism, John was pointing people to this someone who, who, is, greater than him, who is greater than him. And he was telling the priests and the, and the Levites, this someone whom you don't even know. And in the Synoptic Gospels, we are told that John, Jesus will baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John is emphasizing here in verses 26 to 27, John is emphasizing that Jesus is a lot greater than him. John knows his identity. He's just a messenger who tells people to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. But we all, what we also know about John in verse 27 is actually quite stark, quite starking. See, John humbly says that Jesus is wearing a strap of whose sandal that even John himself is not worthy to untie. What does that mean? What is this illustrating? Well, in the ancient world, to untie and remove someone's sandal was a, was a task of a slave. You see, as great as John the Baptist was, he viewed himself even more lowly than a slave in the ancient world. He's not even worthy to be a slave of Christ. Which also implies that Jesus was his master. John knew who he was. John was that voice that pointed people that pointed to Jesus Christ. But he's also a lowly slave who acknowledges Jesus as his master. 
but also as a slave who is not worthy. And if John can say this about himself, and if Jesus declares that John was the greatest man to have ever lived, then what what makes us think that we can see ourselves any better than John? Surely we are to be messengers of Christ, and we are to be servants, slaves of Christ. We must remember who we are, brothers and sisters, if we want to point people to Jesus Christ and place our identity not in the things of this world, but place our identity in what God calls us. And then here we learn in verses 29 to 34 that to effectively point people to Jesus, we need to be clear on who Jesus is. You see, verse 19 begins with this, these words, the next day, the next day. You see, three times John talks about the next day in verses 19, 35, and 43. And the events from verse 19 to chapter 2 took place within a span of seven days, culminating with the first miracle at the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. And here, verse 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And John testifies, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've been singing about the Lamb of God this morning, haven't we? You see, verse 19 began with the testimony of John. He denied being the Christ. He denied being any of those folks. But he is now going to show the Jews who is truly the Christ. He's telling them, Behold, to look, to see. John was drawing people's attention by pointing the audience to Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in in the Old Testament, the Lamb is mentioned quite a lot, especially in the sacrificial offering. You see, the Old Testament predicted that that God would provide a Lamb, and and that the Lamb would be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, or it would be a type of Christ. You see, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, Abraham prophesied that God would provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And then the Israelites, they sacrificed the Passover lamb and covered the blood on top of their doorframe so that the angel of destruction would pass over them. And Isaiah prophesied that the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And so what we see here is that Christ is the fulfillment of the, of the lamb, the type of lamb in the Old Testament. That Christ will be the one to shed his blood on the cross to take away the sin of the world. And see, the, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament only temporarily remitted the sins of individuals and corporate Israel. But it was not sufficient. It was not enough. And Jesus, being the lamb of God, can permanently take away the sins of the world so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus was the one whom John has been pointing to. He is greater than John. He ranks before John because he pre-existed eternally with God the Father. Before John was ever born in this world, he is the preeminent one. 
And so verses 32 to 34 is all about John's testimony of the baptism of Jesus. Now, just to let you know that this is not a, uh, this is not a narrative of Jesus' baptism. See, in John's gospel, Jesus' baptism chronologically took place way before the priests and the Levites asked, Jesus, asked John's identity in verse 19. And so Jesus' baptism has already occurred. And here we see John's testimony of Jesus' baptism. Now, as we look at this passage, I want you to notice twice here, it says in verses 31 to 33, that John says, I did not know him. That is Jesus. Now, this would have been an odd statement for John to say because Jesus and John were actually related to each other. Uh, their mothers, Mary, Mary and Elizabeth, they were cousins. They were cousins. So it's possible that Jesus and John knew each other. So why did John say, I did not know him? Well, Here's a simple solution that I borrowed from D.A. Carson. He's a New Testament scholar, and he's been very helpful in the study of John. It's not that John did not know Jesus at all, but he did not know that Jesus was the coming one or the Messiah. And so how would John know that Jesus was the coming one, the Messiah? Well, God gave John a sign of the coming one, didn't he? In verse 32 to 33, what's the sign? The sign is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove when John baptizes him. And plus, after Jesus was baptized, the synoptic gospels would, all, well, and would include other scenes such as the heaven opening up and the voice saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so John witnessed those events and he testifies and he bore witness that this Jesus, he is the son of God. And so Jesus' baptism was meant to reveal to Israel that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. And that is what John testifies here to you and me this morning. And like John, like John, even John's experience was very unique. But I'm also sure that for those of us who have become born-again Christians, we all have our own unique experience of encountering Christ. And like if we have ever come to know who Jesus Christ is, we can't help but testify about him, right? We want to tell people that Jesus is the Messiah. We want to tell the Jews that Jesus is, the, is their long-awaited Messiah. He is the King of Israel. And that even John himself was pointing everyone to him. He's the Son of God. And John later on says in verse 19, in John chapter 3, verse 18, he calls us to believe in the Son of God. He calls us to believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so, 
That's what we're called to do. We're called to testify about Jesus. We have considered this truth already, brothers and sisters, that faithful witnesses point people to Jesus. And that is because Jesus is the point. He is the point in everything we say and do, right? And if we are to effectively point people to Jesus, we need to be clear on who we are not, we need to be clear on who we are, and we need to be clear on who Jesus is. So brothers and sisters, I pray and hope you understand the implication from this text. People are looking for hope. People are seeking meaning and trying to find purpose in their life. People are finding ways to clear their guilt and sin. People are lost in this world. They're in need, they're in need to be saved. And they are the people in your school. They are the people in your workplace. They are the people in your family. They are the people in this church, in the ministries that we are in. And so the question you need to ask yourself is, is this. Will they look to you? Will they look to you to point them to the right direction? Are you that sign? Are you that right person that will point them to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the God who gave his life for us, the God who's died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins that we deserve to pay, and, was, and then being raised on the third day? Are you that person? Are you that per- right person who can point them to the right direction? Or are you going to be the person who will frustrate them? My friends, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you, let me ask you a question. Are you looking for the right direction in life? Let me encourage you to behold. Let me exhort you to look, to look to Jesus. He's telling you, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the world for I am God, and there is no other. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you confess with your mouth this morning that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is your direction. Go, go to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning from this text. Thank you for the example that you have given us from John the Baptist, how he humbly pointed others to Jesus, how he didn't took the fame. Even though he was popular, he did not identify himself as the Christ and the prophet and the Elijah. And so, Lord, help us to figure out where we falter in our own lives where we have placed our identity in the things of this world, where we think that we are the folks that, peop- that the people have say about, that the, that the folks say about us, and we put so much emphasis in what people say about us instead of thinking about what you say about us. So God, help us to figure out, figure those out and wrestle with those truths. And to be reminded that God, you, you have given us an identity in Christ, that we are the children of God, that we are followers of you, that we are your disciples, we are your servants, we are your, we are, we are your messengers. Oh God, help us 
to live in such a way that glorifies you and honors you, and also to point people to the right direction. So help us to know who Jesus is even more so that we will be able to direct people to know you in our daily lives. You know there's you know one person. You know there is one person, O oh Lord, in our lives whom we can point others to. Help us to be bold and courageous in pointing others to Jesus, the Lamb of God, as our Lord and Savior, so that they can be saved. So we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for encouraging us and challenging us. We know that you've spoken to us, and we trust that your eternal truth will be written in our hearts. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.